that's the paradox. At the same time, if we really are who we are, then of course there is no practice needed. The whole issue begins of practice, what we call practice, which I would like to little more clearly explain before we just assume that everybody has the same concept of practice word. But the practice is, I would say, because we do not live in that reality. Where my I is, is my I in the absolute self or is my I sitting in the relative world? If it is sitting in the relative world of separation, of duality, if duality is my reality, then practice is inevitable. <laughs> No, because duality is not a reality. Duality is the is that which is apparent. There is no truth about duality. And therefore, if duality is a reality, then I need to do something about that duality. The doingness comes into the picture. So what I would like to know is when you say practice, what is it you mean? If, if uh, you know, calling, you know, calling a bangle a bangle is practice, then yeah, I am practicing Vedanta. Because Vedanta is metaphysics. It's E equals MC square. It's that thou art is the equation. What do you, how do you practice an equation? It is seeing an equation, it's understanding an equation, it's cognizing the truth, it's, it's awakening to, a, to the truth. And therefore, you know, that the, that the coconut tree standing there is green in color, if I cannot see it, then see it. No, no, but I just cannot see it. But that's the reality. A reality is to be seen in order to know it. But it is too big for me. Okay, then practice seeing. <laughs> practice seeing the reality that already is. And what do I do? Well, if you have a problem with vision, then get, get a pair of glasses, get an equipment, get a tool that will facilitate your seeing. If you can't see as is, then draw certain tools that facilitates your sight. But you have got to see what is as what is. Similarly, that thou art, the master equation, the nature of the self is of the nature of infinite light, is a reality, is a fact. This fact, if I do not comprehend, then I need to do something in order to comprehend. It's not that I am going to arrive at the fact, it's not that I am going to 
do something to reach. You, you cannot do something to reach. You only reach what you are not. But if you already are what you are doing to reach, <laughs> there is a paradox. The whole journey is a paradox because there is no starting of a journey. You are the destination. What journey are we on? We have this big thing of spiritual journey. You know, we, are, we are seekers of truth. We are in a spiritual journey. Big deal. You are the destination. <laughs> what journey are you on? That's another bluff. And therefore, practice. If you want to call seeing one plus one equals two is a reality. Seeing the reality, if you want to call it practice, please, it is practice. Practice getting the knowledge. Mm. But if you think that a practice is going to reach you to your destination, then there is something wrong in understanding of practice. Because the reaching itself denies you the destination. The finite can never reach the infinite. You know this very well. Either you are the infinite or you are not. And therefore, if there is a practice involved, it is about dropping misconceptions of who you are. It's about dropping the erroneous mistakes that has caused wrong patterns of thought life and activities. Those mistakes we can drop because it is not in keeping with the truth of who I am. That could be a practice of dropping, of dropping that which is not in order to own up that which is. That is all I would call a practice. You cannot practice, in, the finite cannot practice to reach the infinite. And inf reaching the infinite doesn't need practice because you are the infinite. And so yes, there is no practice. But yes, there is a practice. A practice is of seeing the truth. <clears throat> And so this is the paradox, yeah? This is the paradox. Right. Really, this is the paradox. Life is a paradox. Mm. There is no, no time and we live in time. There is no space away from who I am. At the same time, I require space for movement. Infinite light doesn't move because it's omnipresent. And yet it moves. <laughs> How can it move? It is something like the space in this glass. The glass moves. Does space move? Yeah, of course it moves. The space in the glass, does it move or does it not move? Does it move? Yeah. I get both answers. <laughs> or the Indian way. <laughs> Safest, you know, take it the way you want. <laughs> <coughs> <coughs>
So does it move or does it not move? <laughs> How can space move? It's omnipresent. But do you mean to say the glass space doesn't move? I see the movement before my eyes. You mean to say this, this movement is a bluff? No, no. It moves. Moving, it doesn't move. Metaphysically, it doesn't move. Experientially, it moves. Metaphysically, space has no movement. But experientially, oh yes, <laughs> it moves. Infinite light metaphysically cannot move. But experientially, yes, I just came from that space to this space. While metaphysically, space itself exists in my awareness. Yet, I move in space. What is this? Paradox. The beauty of Vedanta is, it is paradox. It is living with paradoxes of life. And therefore, there is nothing to become so serious about. <laughs> the whole thing is a paradox. When time-space itself is apparent, then any, any situations in time and space is not going to be real. The whole thing is based in consciousness. And therefore, the more I, the more I recognize the paradox, the more I can relax and allow the movement, the motion, the rhythm of life to do what it, whatever it needs to do. There's no reason for me to resist, to fight it, to want it differently, because anything is relative in nature, it doesn't matter. No? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, maybe I ask you um, to comment on these four approaches. Each approach is a little bit different, yeah? Because each approach is addressing one element, you know. We need to get the whole picture and then you can take an aspect that is appropriate to that soul, that is needed for the soul. Because we are talking about a practice. A practice that works for me may not work for you or work for a third person. But the vision is the same, that I am of the nature of infinite light, that I am free of time and space. This is my truth and your truth. Now how does this body-mind-sense complex, this equipment, reflects that truth, may be a little different from how that equipment would reflect that truth in that life. And the difference will, will be influenced by the relative context in which that soul has taken birth. That civilization, that land, that culture, all of that is going to make some difference. Because it's still that, that infinite light is born in a particular 
body with a certain karmic pattern. There's a certain karmic uh, configuration. <laughs> That's the equipment of body-mind-sense complex. And therefore, how it's going to, how that soul is going to own up will be different from how I would do it or a third person would do it. And therefore, if there are different approaches to, to one's awakening, I have no fight with any approach. The, the question is, is it working for me? Is it working for me to, to be who I am? In the Vedantic tradition, we talk about three tools. The first is knowledge, self-knowledge, born of listening, shravanam, and reflections, mananam. Shravanam means listening to the truth of yourself for the first time Somebody has to tell me who I am. So the tool, you have a tool to reach who you are. The cause being in self-ignorance, the self-knowledge has to emerge. And the tool for giving rise to self-knowledge is words, Shabda Pramanam. It is known as words. Words have their inherent strength. Not to reveal the nature of the soul, but to negate what it is not. The soul is self-evident, self-revealing. Words negate what self is not. And therefore this exposing oneself to this kind of learning the traditional teachings is one tool. And as we, as we hear about the soul, negating what the soul is not, such as the body-mind-sense complex, there might be resistance of the human mind will say, no, no, how can that be? There'll be questions, there'll be counter, countering this this truth, you cannot tell your mind, shut up. Because it won't. If it is knowledge, it needs clarity. It needs to put to rest the reasoning capacities. And therefore the mind will question. And if it questions, whenever it questions, the tradition must be able to provide answers. You cannot say, believe what I say. Believe you are infinite light. How do you believe something so ridiculous? <laughs> it has to be something that is knowledge-based. And therefore, mananam is the second step, the second tool, where questions are asked opposing this teaching, and the teaching itself gives answers, gives answers. <coughs> and as it answers, it it addresses this intel intellect that is constantly questioning the truth.
that is called manana having done enough of first and second step then you find when the cognitive the reasoning the in, in the, the questioning mind comes to a rest then you find now it's a matter of owning up and one might have patterns habitual patterns erroneous patterns of living and thinking that needs to be dropped by awareful living and so the third step in this practice is called nididhyasanam nididhyasanam means contemplation meditation contemplation the first two is done with the help of the guru the teacher the third one is purely your own journey for your your clarity clarity of knowledge and so vedantic tradition addresses this tool what you call practice in this manner it is three prong effort and if doing the first if you are so evolved that you will never forget who you are once having heard second and third is not for you with one step your work is finished meeting the master hearing about your nature you own up the truth and that's who you are there's no practice needed there's no meditation needed meditation is for somebody who 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 needs to remember because he's forgotten who he is and therefore step 1 can be enough and the upanishads talk about disciples for whom step 1 did it <laughs> and if step 1 is not enough you need something more then 2 and 3 are for you this is a model which is which is used in the traditional teachings in the other one which you talked about the neo well i call it i'm calling it neo advaita there's probably other other words like non duality you were talking about new vedanta so that i think there are different yeah. labels neo neo advaita it's a very western approach you right. know, don't do anything right. and you get everything right. you know <laughs> well it's just fine which is okay you don't do anything then just be there then don't look to get everything because you are everything if you really don't need to do anything to get everything and that the truth is because you are everything then don't ask but how aha minute you ask how you need to do something to get there to get the everything because it's not just about just about knowing who i am there is one thing that i think they forget and that is what we call in sanskrit sarvatma bhava that this i is in all is the same i that is in all it's sarvatma bhava that oneness with all until that oneness i have with others because there is no other 
when oneness is my reality, then Advaita is complete. But I am consciousness, I am, I am everything, and you are nothing. Who are you? <laughs> you are a nobody. Stay away from me. I can't relate to you. You have issues. I... When I and you become, the, the dialogue between I and you becomes one of separation, that is not, that Vedanta is not complete. Because if I am consciousness and you are consciousness and there is no two consciousness and all that is here is one consciousness, that is the truth, then that this I, same consciousness is sitting in this body and in that body, that is also the truth. And therefore there is no reason for separation. And if it exists in my teachings, in my model, if it continues to exist, then, then something is incomplete. That, that with new or whatever you may want to call it, it is not complete. Sarvatma Bhava, oneness with all, is a very important outcome of Vedanta, a natural outcome. That's what makes a person a saint. We cannot become saint by running away from the world from society. Be where you are, who you are, and love humanity. And therefore we need to see, I'm not sure whether if new Advaita does bring in Sarvatma Bhava, then it's wonderful. But if that is not addressed, then I think there is a lacuna, a gap, number one. Number two, I would say, that when we say all that is here is one, infinite light, that is the truth, that is satyam, that is the reality which is independent of anything. It doesn't need anything else for its support, that is the truth of yourself. Then any experience of separation is not truth. That experience is merely experiential and a capacity to call that an experience-based and not metaphysics-based. In other words, this is Satyam, that is Mithya. The separation model is Mithya. Mithya means it's an illusion. It is apparent. It is a dependent reality. That I'm separate from you if it is in my experience that experience is, is incidental to me, it is not intrinsic to me. What is intrinsic to me is we are one. In my experience what is incidental to me is I am here, you are there. <laughs> and therefore to keep intrinsic as intrinsic, to keep incidental as incidental is called Satyam Mithya Nishchaya, separating the Satyam from Mithya. If the other models do that, wonderful. If you don't do that, then this becomes satyam, that also becomes satyam. This is real, that infinite, all that is there is one consciousness is real, but that I am separate from you is also real. It becomes two parallel realities. And you cannot have two parallel realities for the same issue, for the same context. 
which is diametrically opposite each other, that's not how metaphysics works. And therefore, separation cannot stand a parallel reality. Upon inquiry, separation must disappear. Only oneness stands. And so in our, our approach, we need to, the whole idea is not an intellectual exercise. Spiritualism is not an intellectual exercise, it is living with who we are. It's an awakening of the soul to itself. And therefore, anything that separates me from you, I must have the power to shred it to pieces in my cognition, in my attitude, in my, in my relationship, in my actions, I must be able to shred every separation that exists. Then only my spirituality is complete. Otherwise, it's just a philosophy, armchair philosophy, you know? Armchair philosophy, I have nothing else to do, we sit and argue <coughs> about different ways to get liberation. Why? Well, because we're sitting here, Tiruna Malay. What has to do? Breeze, it's all very nice. Let's just chat about this and brainstorm. No, this is not an armchair philosophy. It's got to be a reality. It's a fact, it's a reality. Therefore, no other reality should stand before this. So, what I mean is, Satyam, Brahma Satyam, Jagat Mithya. One truth, infinite light is the truth and any experience that separates me from this truth is false. This must be, I must be awakened to that and for that we discipline ourselves in body, mind, sense complex, tune ourselves so that we remain ever awakened to this fact. <clears throat> And in your experience, because you've been teaching disciples for many years, um, how many people just get it without uh, having to do anything? I mean, as you say, we're all the light, yeah? But how many really know that from your experience? I would say we are all on our journey, you know? The journey hasn't begun now. It's just a journey of the soul for so many lifetimes. And so each soul is, some are a little ahead, some are a little behind, some are walking parallel. We do not know, it's a journey for so many lifetimes. And therefore what strikes whom, how, when, <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be preposterous for me to make a judgment. Because I trust the power of the tradition so much that I know once somebody has gone through this exposure, somewhere, sooner or later, it's all going to come together. That's the, that's the trust I have. And so we are all on our journey. And who knows what's the agenda of which soul when they arrived on earth. So it wouldn't be right for us to judge. <clears throat> Some say, that self-realization comes through grace and that nothing can or needs to be done. <laughs> Our spiritual practice and all other 
doing any help? Or could the seeker just leave practice and trust grace? Why are we so much averse to practice? Yes, grace is always there. It's not that we wait for grace. Grace is always there. That I can lift my hand, is it not a work of grace? I may want to lift my hand one day and it won't go up. Then I will know what grace was. That I can grasp something, I can make a fist is grace. That I can see is grace, that I can breathe is grace. That I open my mouth and words come through, my voice box is available is grace. Is grace all the way. It has nothing got to do with wanting to practice or not wanting to practice. Practice again is what I said, it is seeing what is. See what is. If you can see what is, then that's, you're done with, you're finished. It's over. You made it. Gold medal for you. <laughs> but until I see what is, you know, I need to do the needful to take away from my life that which denies me to see what is. My attitudes deny me to be what I am. My behaviors deny me the truth of myself. I am a resource, I am the source of love and my attitude is I am a victim, nobody loves me. And so in my very attitude, I deny myself my truth. So unless I break those patterns, I eliminate from my life that which disempowers me. How can I be who I am? And the process of disempowering, this separation, and empowering myself in my truth, that I call practice. It's a process of dropping what I am not. So the practice is for what we could call the imaginary separate self. The imaginary? Separate self. Yes, we could say that. I mean, maybe there's another expression. Yes. And in the West, we perhaps use the word ego for that. Our, our false identity. False identity. Mm -hmm. The identity of the self with the body-mind-sense complex. We cannot even say it is false because they are, they are, you know, uh, we, we call this adhyasa, where the attributes of one is reflected in the other. Is fire Fire's heat, is it intrinsic attribute or is it incidental attribute? You tell me. The heat of fire, is it intrinsic or is it incidental? Yes? Yes. It is intrinsic. Mm. Intrinsic means when you say fire, it is hot. Unless have, have you experienced cold fire, any of us? 
maybe in germany <laughs> there is some corner in some cave where you get cold fire <laughs> i'm sure the scientists have invented that but uh... so when you say the nature of something there can be twofold either intrinsic or incidental when you when fi fire is hot is intrinsic because there is no cold fire fire means heat but that water in the pot which is sitting on the fire <laughs> is the heat in that water intrinsic or incidental it is incidental it's not intrinsic why because that water needs the fire the heat comes from outside of itself so the water needs the fire in order to be hot once you take away the source of heat it goes to its own intrinsic nature which is cold that means even though the water was hot even though we experienced heat it truly is cold water even though note this even though we experience heat in the fire i mean uh, heat in the water we are very clear that the experience of heat in water is incidental to water and not intrinsic to water isn't it consciousness and matter are inseparable inseparable <laughs> the nature of matter and the nature of consciousness are opposed consciousness is infinite matter is finite consciousness is unseen matter is seen consciousness is not born is formless matter has form consciousness has no birth death matter is born in a form and gone of from that form the nature of consciousness and matter are opposed okay are they two separate no they are they are superimposed on each other because consciousness seems to have the qualities of matter i am consciousness but i am brown skin you are white skin i have black hair you have blonde hair i am conscious being so consciousness seem to have taken the qualities of the matter into itself and matter which is inert is not inert like the like the floor or the pillar this matter is as inert but it has become conscious matter cannot be conscious but it has become conscious because consciousness is 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 integrated or is inseparable from matter so the question now is when there are two things with two opposite attributes we need to separate here which is intrinsic which is incidental <laughs> what is incidental what is intrinsic to matter we need to make a separation separation of the two the beauty in the teachings siddhantik teachings is 
it gives you tools, key, to separate matter from consciousness. Separates. Called Pancha Kosha Viveka. We start with the body, then the prana, I am the body, I am the prana, I am the mind, I am the intellect. Like this, we move from the koshas, the five sheets, what they say. The five places of error where intrinsic attribute became, I mean, incidental attribute became in, intrinsic. Matter was, was what you call limited and took the attribute of the limitless. And therefore, the separating cognitively in the teachings, through the teachings of these two, and showing which is intrinsic and which is incidental is a key. Having separated, and matter is that which is born and gone, and the soul is the conscious being of the nature of infinity, limitlessness, peace, joy, fullness. Once you make that separation, please understand the step number one. Step number two is, now what's the relationship of consciousness with matter? What's the relationship? Are they two? Are they one? No, they are not one, they are separate. But are they two? Does the matter have an equal reality like consciousness? Parallel reality? No. One is a dependent reality, the other is independent. The soul is independent of matter. Matter is, soul is. Matter is not, soul is. <laughs> but you cannot say, you know, so, uh, soul is, matter is, soul is not, matter is, you cannot say, because to prove the existence of matter, you need the soul. Minus the soul, matter cannot be proved. Minus the subject, no world of object can be proved. And therefore, to prove the existence of matter, you need the soul. Soul is independent, matter is dependent. So the beauty here is, once you separate matter from consciousness, then your work is not complete, only 50% work is complete. The second 50% is learning to see the relationship of the consciousness with matter, which is satyam, mithya, which is truth versus the leela, the play, the play of matter. So in the, that which has no movement, matter brings movement. That which has no color and form, matter brings color and form. It's a play. And that relationship, unless, unless it, is, it is clearly cognized in the teaching, in the tradition of teaching, we'll only be talking consciousness, nobody will be able to live consciousness. We cannot live if we cannot own up the other as me. And therefore Satyam Mithya is a very crucial point of being one with the universe.